0: Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned, and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. So I'm very excited to welcome my guest today to Recruiting Trailblazers. Matt Hurd is an executive search leader for purpose-driven organizations and currently the VP of Ops for Fireseeds, an executive search firm in Birmingham, Alabama. Matt's been with the company for nine years and he's worked on over 900 retained searches. So welcome to the podcast, Matt Hurd. How are you, Matt?
1: Doing good. Thank you, Marcus. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah, good to see you. And I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you today. Okay, so um, first question: You guys at Fire Seeds, you're a purpose-driven, focused recruiting organization. Can you explain to me what that means?
1: Yeah, it's a uh, it's a unique unique vertical uh, that we're focusing in. We would we would say we are, you know, we're industry agnostic in a lot of ways. Like we don't have a specific industry that we're focused in, um, but where we are focused is partnering with. Clients that, that care about their culture, they care about their people, they want to make an impact uh, on their people uh, in, in the work that they do. Uh, and so uh, we've done a lot of work with uh, Chick-fil-A. So uh, many know and, and like Chick-fil-A and their aim two years ago was to be the most caring company in the world. Uh, and so for us, we know that we're not only going to work with Chick-fil-A, but how do we find the small to mid sized business that that generally they, they do care about their people? uh and they want to invest in their people and they want to impact their people. Uh and they have a purpose behind what they're what they're doing. Uh and so we do a lot of work in the in the nonprofit world, in the Christian nonprofit world. Uh and so certainly their their purpose is to impact the community that they're in. Uh but there's many small businesses that they, they want to have an impact. They want their work to mean more than uh just showing up and uh, working from eight to five, so we look for those uh, unique companies that are having a uh, an impact in, in what they're doing.
0: That's interesting. So it's it's much more of a horizontal approach than a vertical approach to finding clients because you're looking for a commonality across you know multiple industries, whereby you feel that your client is purpose or mission driven. It seems to me that it's it's much more a part of the conversation these days that companies are defining their mission. Their purpose and their values. And and those three sort of words sort of tend to intermingle a little bit, but I think they're different, aren't they? I mean, the vision of a company is, you know, what does the future look like? Yep. The mission is how are we going to get there? And the purpose mm-hmm. is why are we doing this, right? Yep.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think when, when I started in recruiting nine years ago, it was, I mean, nobody was really working in the purpose-driven space. You know, the, the vision statements, the mission statements, those weren't really thing. You know, culture wasn't as important uh, you know, when candidates were interviewing as it is uh today. So when I was first starting out and we were working with some unique companies, we had a we had an advantage uh as we're reaching out to candidates because it's man, I I didn't realize that there was companies out there like this that truly did want to have an impact on me and invest in me uh and who I am as a person. Now it's becoming more and more common, but we're we're trying to find companies that uh, it, it's, it's more than just written on their wall. So some companies are writing their vision, mission, and values, putting it on their wall, and then they're not ever talking about it again. Uh, and so how, how can we find the companies that really do it? It means something to them. Showing up to work means something to them. Uh, and we've, we've worked with companies. There's a, a fire truck dealership uh in in mobile that we worked with and we didn't circle that on our ideal client profile. Hey, let's go find all the fire truck dealers that we can work with. But they're like, man, we are dealing in communities that need people that care. That need companies that care. Uh and so we don't want to just be your normal fire truck dealer just here to make money. We want to know that they can call us anytime. Uh and so it really is that heart that
0: we're looking for behind the business and just the yeah, we have a purpose and we're here. How do you even begin to prospect for that? I mean, how do you put together a prospect list of companies that have a clear purpose or a mission?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's one of our greatest challenges, right, uh, uh, for growing our firm. We've, we've grown primarily organically over the years. Uh, you know, I think uh, a big point for us was getting to partner with Chick-fil-A. Uh, and so we've built out uh, a hospitality vertical uh, within our firm. And so we have a team that focuses solely on uh, Chick-fil-A. Uh, we've served over 200 operators now. I think there's 2,000, more than 2,000 operators at this point. So that's a component of our business where we we believe that Chick-fil-A is going to continue and we're finding their top, think two to three uh, leaders, their directors, their executive director type candidate uh, for Chick-fil-A. So that's a little bit easier to prospect uh w- within that arena um but we really have grown organically uh and so it's our customers telling other customers about us and hey you've got to go work with 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 fire seeds they've got a unique approach and they're able to identify who you are your vision your mission your values and then they're able to go out and and find a candidate that not only fits your skill set or the job uh but somebody who's going to fit into your organization uh and so it really has been word of mouth um, but our challenge as we move into—we've been in business for about ten years. Our, our challenge as we move into the next ten years is how, how do we how do we prospect and how do we do that well? So, um, so yeah, it's a good question. It's one that we're answering right now uh, and, and really learning how do you go find
0: companies that, that that care about their people. And when you first sort of introduce yourself to these companies, is that very much a part of your elevator pitch? Is that how you introduce yourself? as a search firm that specializes in purpose-driven organizations
1: yeah uh, i think there, there's some people that that language resonates with them uh, and so when you say purpose-driven uh it comes through them and they're like yeah that's that's unique that's different i haven't worked with another recruiting firm that 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 leverages that kind of language uh and so um sure not everybody resonates with the purpose-driven language but the ones that do, we find that, man, we can, we can really have an impact with them.
0: Um, I actually did a quick search on purpose-driven companies. Here's a couple I can share with you. Um, Patagonia, we're in business to save our home planet. That sounds like a great purpose. Um, Honest Tea, to create and promote great tasting, healthy organic beverages. Oh, that's a good purpose. <laughs> Ikea, to create a better everyday life for the many people. Okay. So these are all sort of purpose-driven companies who have a, who have a greater purpose. Are you, are you allowing companies to self-select out if they don't have a greater purpose or if they're not on a mission, you know, to help people or their community?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we run into scenarios where it's, hey, I need the salesperson and I need them tomorrow. And it's, yeah. okay, well, how are you going to invest in them? How are you going to pour into them? What do you see the future looking like? And it's, well, if they're not performing in 90 days, then I'm not interested. And so we're trying to, for us, we're trying
0: to self, self-select self out of scenarios where the candidate's just another number. Okay. No, that makes perfect sense. And so really the lines here between purpose and mission are, are kind of blurred because yeah. really what we're talking about here is companies that have a great culture, yeah. um, who, who offer a lot to their employees and not necessarily have a higher purpose. But a, but a purpose, you know, to, to make money. But I think a great purpose inside an organization is to create a wonderful workspace and a place where people can, you know, truly enjoy being a part of that company um, and can be inspired, developed, empowered and appreciated on a on a daily basis. Is that really at the core of what you guys are trying to do?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's certainly a combination of, hey, do you have an external purpose of what you want to yep. accomplish? Um, But man, it's so much more about, Do you do you care about the people that you hire? Uh, And so we talk about uh, the boardroom to family room uh, approach and the type of customers that we want to work with. Uh, And so think about how you influence your employees in your boardroom. Is that a positive experience? Do they look forward to coming to work uh, and sitting around your table? Uh, And if it's positive, if if it's a good experience in your work environment, they're going to carry that home. Uh, and so if your work environment's negative and it's toxic, they're also going to carry that home. Uh, and it's going to negatively impact their families, their kids, uh, and really the way that they spend their time outside of work. Uh, and so we want to work with environments, with cultures uh, that that genu- genuinely want to positively impact their people uh, and do yeah. so in such a way to where, man, they're fired up to go home and invest in their kids, invest in their family. And they're also excited to come back to work on Monday. It's not a drag to come back to work on Monday. Um, but there's so much more of a heart to that that culture, that purpose
0: than a mission statement. So there's got to be both. It must be difficult though to have those types of conversations with clients and to ask those very pointed questions because, I mean, if you're an employee of that company, you, you probably enjoy working there. Yeah. And so it would be difficult for them to, to be truly honest about perhaps you know a lesser culture or a poisonous culture if that existed is it hard for you to ask the right questions without sort of you know offending your clients about their existing culture
1: well i think in a lot of ways like i shared earlier our customers are coming in organically and so they're already coming to the table with and a lot of times when i ask our clients why do you like us why do you want to work with us they're saying man you you understand us. You came in and you understanded us as a client, us as an organization. You understood our values. And you went out and found candidates that fit our value set, fit our mission set. Uh, and so you found that unique combination. So when they're telling other people, they're like, man, Fire is going to find not only a good leader for you, but somebody that fits into your culture and in your organization. So in some ways, when they come in through a referral, obviously, that's a lot easier conversation to have. Um, but we were having a conversation a few weeks ago with a, uh, a prospect that said, man, I, we're, we're looking for a, for a CFO and, but we need somebody that can fit in with our, our unique values. You know, we're a unique place to work and we really want to have an impact and we want to invest in our people. And so if we, if somebody just comes in and they just want to be a CFO and they don't care about our organization, they're probably not going to fit. So a lot of times they're, they're entering into that conversation by saying, man, we've had somebody who wasn't a good fit because they, and they were just toxic in our environment. They didn't really appreciate our values. They didn't appreciate our mission. Um, and so we want somebody that appreciates being here. Um, that's how we get into the conversation.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. And I mean, do you get into the nitty gritty of what those values are so that you can really sort of like you know, go deep into the organization and figure out the type of people who might resonate with them and fit in. Absolutely,
1: yeah. A, a big part of our profiling, um, certainly, we're having those conversations as we're just getting to know possible clients, getting to know prospective clients. Um, but a big part of our, our profiling when we're getting to know a client is and understanding uh, the values that are most important to you. Uh, what, what what do you hold most important to your organization? Uh, describe your culture in a word, a sentence. And so we're really trying to go down as deep as possible to understand, and what type of environment is this person walking into? Yeah,
0: No, it's interesting. I mean, I've always believed that culture is the biggest mover of people. I've said it on almost every podcast I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to meet a recruiter or a, a search firm that's sort of leading with that Philosophy, Mm -hmm. because I believe you're absolutely right. I believe that at the end of the day, if you want to be a brand ambassador, which is what you need to be as a recruiter, if you're going to go out and attract the right people, you've got to unwrap their culture and unlock their mission and be able to share that with the world authentically Mm -hmm. in order to truly be able to say to people, This is a great place to work. And I think good recruiters represent brands and companies and organizations that they understand and that they can advocate on behalf of. And if they're just putting bums on seats um, and selling a role based maybe purely on money or location, then they're missing a trick because at the end of the day, culture is the thing that will attract the most people. And it will also be the thing that sort of gets rid of the most people as well, if it's not a good culture. And so I, I, I ask these questions, you know, under that umbrella of, I haven't necessarily come across a company before, who leads with that and say, we just work with purpose-driven or, you know, culturally aligned organizations. But I do think it's a very important part of the recruiting process these days to, to profoundly understand the culture of the organization that you're representing. And not just anecdotally as well, really get to grips with, you know, how people feel about working there. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, my definition of culture is, is you know, how people treat each other and how people feel about working there, why they enjoy working there, why it makes them feel good when they wake up in the morning. And so, yeah, it's, it's a great conversation to have because I think the big takeaway here for, for anyone who's interested is get to the bottom of your client's culture because you'll be a better recruiter out in the marketplace as a result of understanding that, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And I would say, too, even... Even our team, so much that you, we do today is over Zoom, right? So we're meeting clients over Zoom. We're not going in-person anymore. Um, but we got to go on an in-person visit to, to meet a client, a, a previous client that was coming back and starting again. Uh, and both the recruiters that went were like, man, I know that we can't travel to every client because we, we don't do work only in Birmingham. We're all over the U.S. They're like, I can sell this, this client so much better now. Because I've been in the environment, I've talked to the people, I've shook hands, uh, and so there's that belief. Uh, and, and any recruiter out there knows when you don't believe, in the client on the other side, and it just doesn't go well. It's extremely difficult to sell. You're not going to be able to fill the position. Um, but when you can get in that environment and really believe in, in who you're selling, you can you can go a long yeah, way as a
0: recruiter. That's so true. I mean, and maybe selling's the wrong word. I, I think it's about resolving a candidate's need for a certain type of, of culture and a certain type of challenge and a, a certain type of environment. Mm-hmm. And as I've said on the podcast many times before, once you understand you know all your candidates' motivators and needs and desires, then you can reconcile the information that you have about the client. Now, your point about visiting a client, I think it's 10 times easier to represent an organization whose building you've been in, whose, you know, employees' hands you've shaken, because you can really come at the, uh, at the problem. You can speak to candidates with, with a much higher degree of authenticity than if you've just met with a client over a Zoom call, because then you're just asking questions about culture. Yep. You're asking questions about challenges. You're, you're not experiencing it firsthand. You know, it just reminded me of, like, that's where this business began, We always used to go and meet our clients and we always used to meet our candidates whenever possible as well, because the world, you know, back then wasn't nearly as remote as it is today. Um, So that's interesting. Is that something that you're going to continue to do and press for to go meet with your clients? It's one of my favorite things to do
1: when we get to go meet with a client in person. Uh, We don't do it near enough. You know, on our anytime we have an executive search, we go. Uh, and so we don't necessarily go for the sales meeting per se. We will, we have, um, but when we get the search, we want to go to the city. We had a search that was in Iowa earlier this year and we flew into, uh, their airport January 2nd or January 3rd, negative 10 degrees. And we got to experience the culture. You know, we got to experience, uh, the environment. It would not have been the same search had I not done that. Uh, and so for every executive search that we do, uh, we will do that. We're going to travel. We're going to be in person. We're going to see the environment in person. We're going to meet with the leadership team and ask them what they love about the culture, ask them what they hope has changed. Um, so yes, hands down, if it's an executive engagement, we're going to do that. Um, but there's a lot of engagements where that's not the case that we do as well. You know, if, the, if it's just a leadership, you know, director level position, you know, we would be on the road all the time. And and we wanted to build the business in a way to where we didn't have to travel. All the time, um, but I do. You know, I will say it is a it's definitely a difference maker, and we want to figure out how do we do it in the
0: right scenarios. I, th- I think good recruiters and great recruiters do distinguish between clients and are primarily motivated to work on behalf of brands that they truly believe in, mm-hmm. and and that obviously incorporates you know great culture. It might incorporate a great product, but I don't think the product is the be all and end all. I think that the way that, um, the way that you feel at work is, I think the culture of the organization is, is the big one for most people. And as a recruiter, that's the main reason. If you, if you unwrap, you know, why people want to leave companies, it, it, it almost always comes down to a sort of a cultural misfit, you know, maybe a, a, a new leader or a change in direction, um, or, you know, other factors that impact the culture and the way people treat each other is, you know, the main reason that people want to move from their company. Yep. So that's interesting. And so, yeah, it's great that you guys um, you know come from that angle and lead with that as well. Um, what about your process? I mean, not everyone's in executive search. What is it about your process that differentiates yourselves or differentiates your company from other recruiters? And is that part of your sort of like business development process, the way you go about doing the job? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a, a big part of the way that we think about uh, search is, is communicating client stories. Uh, so there's a lot of jobs out there. There's a lot of job descriptions out there. Um, but how do we, how do we come in and understand your story, understand more of why you're here, uh, what kind of impact you're having, uh, and what's the story behind this position? So it may not be just a CFO. Right. Uh, you know, this person's coming in. They work alongside the CEO who's involved in X, Y and Z, uh, who influences the community in this way. Um, so what are the components that we can pick up on uh, that we can that we can share from a story perspective? Uh, and so I, I would say that's one of the from a process perspective. You know, we all have resumes that we review. We all have uh, second round steps that candidates have to work through. Um, But we really think through, man, what's a compelling way that we can understand your story uh, and then go out and share your story over, hey, here's the job and do you meet the requirements?
0: Yeah, I love that. Storytelling is is something that people talk more and more about these days, especially on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And it's a very powerful way to communicate often a sales message as well, to be able to tell stories about the organization you're representing and to and to give candidates an incredibly good and deep flavor of of what, again, back to what you were saying earlier, the mission and the purpose of the organization really is mm-hmm. um, through storytelling. So are there any sort of like special techniques that you use or? I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, a, a
1: big part of our process is we have we have an initial meeting with all of our clients. So once we get the contract even if it's a search where it's like, hey, we we know what this position is. Like we could go post it tomorrow. We could go run through our database tomorrow or LinkedIn, whatever, and find the person. And maybe we could. Um, we're always going to spend, you know, think at least 60 to 90 minutes with a client. Uh, even if they're coming back. Uh, if they're coming back and say, hey, I know you found the manager of the finance the first time. This time we're going to go, we're, we're looking for a communic- communications coordinator. Uh, so we'll come back in and we'll set a 60 minute debrief and share more. Why Why this position? Why this person? Uh, again, just trying to understand the story. Uh, so I think it's in those uh, we call them bullseye meetings. So creating your bullseye uh, for the position. Uh, but it's in those engagements that we're able to really pick up on. Man, this is these are some unique things about this individual's personality that they're going to get to work with. You know, I'm learning about. The story of the client. And so where did they come from? Where was their background? Where was their experience? And so how can I pick what's going to resonate with the audience that I'm, that I'm reaching out to? Have you ever had a story that didn't resonate? I'm sure. I'm sure we've had plenty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think in the first, so we've been in business for 10 years. I would say the first five years, man, we were taking on way too many jobs that we shouldn't take on. But at that point, we were just trying to, we were just trying to pay the bills. We we're just trying to keep the lights on. And so we were not picky about some of the things that we took on. And I can think about some of the stories uh, that I got to share in the early days. And it's like, man, I know nothing about PLC programming, but I'm going to sh- go share this story because we can make a fee.
0: And that's, we, we did it because we had to. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, it's interesting that you've carved out this horizontal approach though, because I think a lot of companies stick to a vertical because they can say, you know, we work predominantly in the healthcare industry, finding executives, or do you find there are any challenges in selling horizontally as opposed to vertically and, and really sort of focusing on a specific industry?
1: I would say most times, once we get in the meeting, it's, it's not a problem. Uh, once we get in the meeting and we're getting to know the company, we're getting to know the organization, I would say nine times out of 10, it doesn't matter if we haven't specialized in that industry yet. Now we may not come out and say like, Hey, we've never worked in your industry, but we believe that we can do it. Um, now we get questions sometimes of, Hey, how many searches have you done like this? And usually we've done enough to, uh, at least add some credibility there. Um, but I would say once we're in the meeting, it, it's it's honestly not that big of a deal. I, I do think as we think about outreach, that, that's where it becomes more difficult. And that's something our team is working through is, OK, we want to we want to serve purpose driven companies. That's what we enjoy doing the most. Uh, we have this hospitality vertical. We've done work with Chick-fil-A, as I mentioned. Uh, we've done work with really small, you know, think two to three to four concept Uh, restaurant concept groups, restaurant groups. Uh, and we really enjoy working with those groups. So that's, that's a target that we can chase. Uh, we enjoy working with, uh, with investors. Uh, and so they may have multiple businesses that they're invested in and, and usually they need a president to go run their neck, their next business. Uh, and so there's one, one individual here in Birmingham and he's called us up on three or four of his concepts. So I get a call about once every six months and, hey, I want to start this. Here's what I need. Here's the leader I want. You know our culture. You know they've got to fit in. You know what I want. Ready, go. Uh, So we enjoy that investor arena. And then one of my favorite spaces to work in is actually the credit union uh, space. So talk about people that, man, they genuinely care uh, about not only their employees, but they really care about the community. Uh, And it wasn't until I got to do some site visits and truly get to know some credit unions to understand this, but man, they just have a deep care for the community and and for the people around them. So
0: uh, that's another space that we, we enjoy playing in when we can. Right. And you've probably got a fairly big network of like leadership connections in your community or in Birmingham, Alabama, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing I left out too is, is nonprofits. I mean, the, the, the Christian nonprofit arena is one that, man, when we get the opportunity to do nonprofits, I think one day we'll have a nonprofit branch. Um, but man, they, they want to have an impact on whatever space that they're in. Uh, and so, you know, we work with one that it's, they're, they're putting in clean water wells, uh, overseas, uh, another one, they have soccer, uh, camp communities, uh, in Africa and in Haiti. And, um, so we, we, we do love working in the nonprofit world. That's fantastic! I, I think what we found in the nonprofit space is sometimes the candidate sp- the candidate pool is a lot smaller and sometimes nonprofits can, can take longer to make decisions because they really want to know that they know that they know. Uh, and so that's probably why we haven't pushed the gas per se. Um, but anytime we get the opportunity,
0: we love to love to serve in the nonprofit arena. Is it harder to recruit for nonprofits? I think it can be. Why is that? You know,
1: when you're dealing with the, uh, you know, we, have dealt with some executive director, you know, is essentially the nonprofit version of a CEO. And most times they're looking for somebody that is their lead fundraiser, uh, but is also really gifted operationally deeply cares about the mission. Uh, and so, you can usually find two of those three. You can find somebody that deeply cares about the mission and is a good fundraiser, um, but they're, they're also not gifted operationally. Uh, so in some cases, they're asking them to do too much. Uh, you know, so it's, it's too many jobs wrapped up in one, I, I think can be a challenge. Uh, so we get in plenty of conversations where it's like, hey, we're not going to find you. We're not going to find you Superman. Um, I know that's what you want. Uh, but but that doesn't
0: exist. I've always thought that that's a conversation that needs to be had at the outset of any search is the perfect candidate problem. You know, pushing back quite hard on clients who have a laundry list of you know skills and experience that they require for that role. And quite often, I think they look at agencies and search firms and think, you know, this is a company that should be able to perform magic for me and just find the absolute perfect candidate. How important do you think it is to sort of push back and try and open the door a bit wider so that they see the problem through a different set of eyes and, and understand that the perfect candidate doesn't necessarily exist out there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's something that we we fight against all the time. Uh, I, I do think there is an element of they're they're paying us to do a really good job. And so the candidate that we find... Should be better than the one that they can go find. Uh, maybe that's not always a hundred percent true, but I I hope that it is, uh, for people that experience our product that man, fire seeds produces a really, really good product. So I do think, yes, their bar is very high. Uh, and I want to, I want them to experience a better candidate than they could find on their, on the road. So I will say that, but I do think as recruiters, you have to be able to go into, You know, we have our initial engagement where we're talking to clients for 60 to 90 minutes, really trying to understand the job description, understand what they're looking for. Uh, And you've got to go into that meeting really circling which components of the job description are going to be difficult to find. Uh, And you have to be able to point that out. So I'm asking questions of, okay, tell me more. What what are you looking for here? How, How much experience? Okay. So do you realize? that to find somebody with that level of expertise and experience, they're likely not going to have these two things. And so beginning to open their mind for, oh,
0: I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that it's really important to educate clients at that stage of of the process to understand that we're not just looking for one person. We're going through an entire process and to sell them on that process And to show them, you know, how much hard work goes into this to find someone who's available right now and interested right now from outreach to first conversations to first interviews and to show them and to have a degree of transparency with them to say, look, we are going to find everybody in this area that is available and interested and qualified for the role. And your job ultimately from the slate of candidates that we produce is to pick one of them. OK, mm-hmm. don't get hung up on just the perfect candidate, because one of these people, they may not be perfect, but they're what's available now. And they'll be very, very, very close to perfect. But don't hang your hat just on perfect. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing that we do, uh, we we meet with our clients every week. So we have a, a mandatory 30 minute or less meeting where we're sharing resumes of candidates that we're talking to that we're experiencing Uh, so every resume that we share with them they won't interview um, but it allows them to see oh these are the types of candidates that are available in the market Uh, and so if they get really hung up on a a certain type of experience hopefully through the process they've seen 10 to 15 resumes to where they're like yeah I, i know we really wanted x y and z but based on the resumes that matt's seeing and experiencing Number one, we'd have to pay a lot more money to get that experience. Or number two, for whatever reason, that type of experience just doesn't exist. Uh, so we coach them up in our 60 to 90 minute meeting. But in the week to week conversations, as they're being exposed to real candidates, most of the time, not every time they start to understand, oh, these are actually pretty good candidates. And I know who I'm saying no to. So I feel even better about who I'm saying yes to.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you work with your clients on the basis that if you select a candidate and submit a candidate, you expect them to have at least a first conversation with the candidate? Or do you allow your clients to reject candidates just based on their profile alone?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, we've we have spent quite a bit of time with our candidates by the time that we recommend them for an interview. And in most cases, our clients have at least seen their resumes. Uh, so we'll show them, hey, here's some initial information. Here's a resume. Uh, give us some thoughts. Give us some feedback. Uh, and then we'll do some more due diligence on our side. So when that candidate's coming back around, we have a really good idea of who that candidate is. And we're coming in with a strong rec- recommendation of, hey, Mr. Client, you should meet with this person. And sure, occasionally, do you get some pushback? Yes. But for the most part. I want to be the one coming to that conversation conversation saying, hey, actually, you you probably shouldn't interview this person because I know you're excited about them, but man, based on some of the things I've heard in my interviews with them, I don't think they're fit for your culture. So I hope to be the one coming with that news versus them coming with, we don't want to interview them.
0: And hopefully you wouldn't submit many people like that in the first place. So yeah, I've always thought that, in that intake call and in the process of sort of bringing on and onboarding a new client, that the most important thing is to develop enough trust for them to have first conversations with everybody you submit. Because a profile and resume hides a lot of things yep. that a first conversation doesn't. Yep. And so for me to say to my client, look, when I present a candidate, I'm not going to present a candidate and say, would you be interested in having a conversation with this person? I'm going to present a candidate and say, these are the three or four or five reasons why you must have a conversation with this person. Okay, we've done our due diligence and they're definitely worth that first conversation. And if a client was to push back and say, I'm not interested in this candidate, then I think that's a criticism of my understanding of the role. And I need to go back to the drawing board with the client and say, let me, you know, let me get to the bottom of this because I only want to present candidates that you're excited about having a first conversation with. Does that make sense? Yeah, a hundred percent.
1: And I mean, sometimes you get into situations where I'm sending over a resume, and I know the, the client's going to push back on A, B, and C. I just know they are. I know them well enough. I've done a <laughs> I've done a good enough job in my intake. I know they're yeah. going to push back on those items, and I'll I'll put that in the email over to them. Hey, I know that they don't have X, Y, and Z, but let's talk about them. And so you have to you have to know. Um, especially in in the work that that we do. They want very specific people for very specific cultures. They're not going to be perfect. So let me help use some of my expertise here uh, versus only just giving you exactly what you want.
0: Yeah. And that reminds me, I have actually submitted many a candidate with that exact wording, which is, I'm really happy to present Jill I know she's not the perfect candidate for these two or three reasons, but this is why you're going to want to have a first conversation with her. You know, boom 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 bullet points on why this person, maybe they have a slight shortfall in a certain skill set area, but they have an incredible attitude and they they can make up for it, you know, many times over in the stuff that they do know and the experience that they have had. So What you're saying is interesting. A great way to present candidates is to call yourself out and say, look, I know this person might not have X and Y, but this is why you're going to want to have a conversation with them.
1: I I really believe that's how you build great trust with your clients. Uh, Because if you just send them over, if if I'm just going to send my client an email, hey, here's some, some resumes. And every time we send somebody a client a resume, we're not recommending an interview. And we tell our clients that. Um, just the way our process works, um, you know, we're, we're going to have multiple touches with that candidate before we submit them for an interview. Um, but if I, if I send them over an email with, Hey, here's the resumes I want to talk about that we came across this week. And I don't call any of those things out. I've seen many cases where that client calls frustrated. Why did you send me this? Why did you send me that? Why are we having these weekly calls? Why? This doesn't make sense. Right. Uh, and so you can build a lot of trust by saying, Hey, I realize this isn't exactly what we set out to be. I know you're going to not like this. And and that's where the client starts laughing. That's where they start saying, all right, like we're going to get to the end that we want to get to. We trust you. We know what you're doing Um, versus the flip side of man, Matt doesn't know what he's doing. And I never want to be in a position of that.
0: Yeah. The word trust is the key there. If you have a client who trusts you, then uh, you won't encounter those types of problems because they'll trust you to present people that are definitely worth having you know, a first conversation with, and then you can sort of take it from there. Let's talk a little bit about for a second, Matt, your, the way that you reach out to candidates, your candidate experience process. Let's finish on that. What's your process?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure we're uh, similar to a lot of recruiters out there and that we, we heavily use LinkedIn. Uh, I wish there was another way to, to, to go out and find candidates, but we found time and time again, that getting out on LinkedIn and Uh, building list and uh, headhunting in that way tends to be the most effective. Uh, And so, um, you know, for any search, we're going to start with, okay, what's the, what is the story that's going to resonate with the candidate? Uh, And so we try to personalize just enough. uh, So I wouldn't say that we're hyper personalized in our messaging. um, But for the longest time, I would just, I would add in a candidate's company name, current company name, and their current job title. And that's in my first paragraph or first two sentences. Hey, I'm assuming you're content at this company, but wanted to let you know about this opportunity. Uh, And what I heard over and over again is, yes, I am content, but I want to learn more. Uh, And so I think even just a little bit of personalization uh, still goes a long way uh, in reaching out to candidates. Um, But then you, you do have to craft the meat of your message in a way to where definitely leaves them wanting more. Uh, and it makes them, it makes them kind of think twice, if you will, uh, about your message. So what, what, what are the best parts of the story that we can tell, uh, in a couple sentences that'll, that'll ultimately get them on the phone.
0: Right. Right. And as I've always said, sell the conversation, not just the role. I mean, yep. what you want to do is to generate enough interest and curiosity for that person to sort of think having a conversation with you, even if this isn't the right role, might be a very good thing for the future anyway, right? Yep.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that's something that, you know, I, I have been very client focused throughout my career. Uh, and so who who ultimately pays the bills? The clients do. Now you need candidates uh, to, to satisfy the needs of the clients, but I've probably focused too heavily on putting myself in my client's shoes since I've been doing this for nine years. Uh, And I would say even listening to some of the recent episodes you've put out there thinking about, okay, how do we, if we talk to 20 candidates a week, what do we do with the 17 that we don't like for this specific client, for this specific culture? Um, You build a relationship with them. I do think that we have some work to do as a firm um, because it can be easy to think, all right, they're not going to satisfy my current need and, I'm running off to the next thing. And I've done that
0: far too quickly, I think, in in my role as a recruiter. It's an easy trap to fall into because there is a transactional nature to what we do as recruiters. And, and we're keen to get onto the next conversation and, and really find the right person that's going to fit our clients' needs. But as I said in my podcast a couple of weeks ago, I think the biggest missed opportunity in recruiting today is, is how you actually treat the candidate's who don't get the job, um, who, who either self-select out, um, who are rejected by the client. And, and I think that's because that's, as you just said, 17 versus three, um, it's a lot more than the people we end up submitting or having conversations with the client. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: if for every three people you do submit, there's 17 people you spoke to that you don't, that's a fantastic opportunity to build a community of advocates who ultimately you can go back to and, and potentially who can give you referrals and information and advice. Um, and then ultimately, you know, you've got a, a warmed up audience to go to every time a new role comes up. Yes.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I think we've got a lot of work to do, uh, and we'll be having some conversations around that, but we've got a lot of work to do as an organization to make sure that, man, the person who finished second, they're they they're treated the same way as the person that finished first. We get surveys from candidates that get placed and we get, Zero out of one, 100, what was your experience like? It's a hundreds, you know, all the time. Of course, they got the yeah. job. Um, but how do we, how do we take care of the people that didn't? And how do we take care of the people that were really far away from getting the job uh, to where, man, maybe we can set them up for something in the future. So we'll yeah. keep you, cho-
0: we'll keep you I think on it that. just requires a mindset shift to understanding that everybody you talk to is at some point going to move jobs successfully. And so not to engage with them with that in mind is to sort of ignore the fact that you might be the person, you might be the conduit to that next placement, to that next career move. And if you just treat a candidate or view a candidate through the lens of the role that you're looking to fill today, that ignores all the incredible possibilities that you could have with that candidate in the future. And I've always thought that a great candidate regardless of whether they get the job, is it's also someone who can introduce me to five or 10 other people. Mm-hmm. I would say my most satisfying and probably my quickest ever placements have all come from referrals from people that I know. And back in the day when I was a contract recruiter, almost every candidate that I placed after a couple of years of being a contract tech recruiter, I got all of my candidates through my current sort of consulting base and through the people that I knew the most who are either working for me or who had previously worked for me or on contract for the company that I was representing. And so it becomes just a very powerful way to be in the market, to have that network, to have that audience of advocates out there who are always, you know, extremely happy to hear from you. Yep, absolutely. Um, Yeah, Matt, tell me a little bit about, you know, what the future looks like for you guys. Are you opening new divisions? Are you Going for new verticals. What does the next couple of years look like for you guys?
1: Yes, yeah, so over the last two years, we have doubled. We've doubled our team. Uh, and so, you know, like a lot of recruiting companies, uh, COVID was generally a, a, a good thing uh, because there were so many opportunities out there uh, to go get. Uh, and so we've doubled our team. Uh, we're up to 15 total. Uh, we have another company as well that uh, brings us to 30 combined. They, It's a company called WildSpark, won't get into it, but uh, we do leadership development for uh, organizations um, and uh, have developed a product that does that uh, for them. So 30 combined between both organizations. Um, But I think for us, we really are working through how do we grow effectively? Uh, We don't want to grow just for growth sake. Uh, We don't want to grow just because that's what that's what we should do. Um, but we want to do it uh, in, in an effective way. Uh, so I think uh, a big part of that is solving, you know, this outbound sales strategy. So I hope a year from now, we're, we're very, very effective and not just relying on uh, our referrals. Uh, and I think by doing that, allow us to say, okay, we want to pursue more focus. I do think focus helps you grow. Uh, so let's focus in the nonprofit arena. Let's focus in working with investors. Let's focus in, uh, working with credit unions. So I think we'll start to develop, uh, more, more areas of focus, more areas of expertise, still within the purpose driven arena, uh, still thinking through culture, still thinking, thinking through the types of environments that people are going to join. Um, but, but continuing to de- develop focus, I think will be important uh, as we move out in the future.
0: Many different ways to skin the sort of business development cat, so to speak. Um, but it sounds like you guys are on the right track. It's fantastic the work that you're doing um, in all the sectors that you're doing it with. And I really appreciate you coming along with the podcast today. Matt Hurd from Fire Seeds. We'll keep in touch and speak again soon. Sounds great. Thanks again, Marcus. Okay. Cheers.